Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. You know, we've had an awful lot of famous people on this program, whether it be Matt McConaughey or Magic Johnson and all of these folks. But today was one for me. This gentleman is someone I've been wanting to meet for a very long time. He's got a phenomenal story, a heartbreaking story, a hard story to hear. It's the real Shawshank Redemption, in my opinion. Chris Heron is our guest. And Chris was a basketball phenom from Fall River, Massachusetts, where people have better Irish accents than I do. He was a high school superstar, McDonald's All-American. Uh, started out in Boston College, uh, went to Fresno State and played for Jerry Tarkanian. Struggled with drugs throughout his career. Eventually went on to become uh, a big-time pro, taken by the Denver Nuggets in 1999, and eventually traded to his hometown team. And I know what it's like to go home. It can be a very difficult thing. Chris is going to walk through his journey of addiction and where he got to and what the lows were and what that looks like. He's been sober now for, thank God, uh, over 13 years, and he shares his story with making uh, a goal of positive difference from people's lives. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of clips and little videos of him speaking to kids all over. He's done a phenomenal job and uh, really a great human being who's doing great things with his life. Chris Heron, welcome to the show. We are honored to have you today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, it's that's one of the best intros I've had, and uh, and I mean it. it. You know, it means. Well, I appreciate it. It's, it's heartfelt. You know, I I uh, I first got exposed to you. Actually, it was at a game you played against SMU. Mm. My son became a football player years later, but I had friends down at SMU, and it was a it was a game where they were coming out. The kids were after you. They they knew of your problems. And they were torturing you. I, I later saw that on this 30 for 30. I think 30 for 30 documentaries on ESPN is some of the best storytelling done today. They did a show on your life called Unguarded, and it's a phenomenal story. But I watched you from that point on. And, uh, you know, I, I, as an Irish guy, the underdog, the undersized guy, you were my guy. You battled and battled and failed and came back out the other side. And, uh, and I think, to be honest with you, Chris, that's a story that people can relate to, mm-hmm. you know. It's hard to relate to I, I, Magic Johnson, one of those beautiful human beings I've ever met in my life. But he's the six nine point guard that's, you know, didn't, not that he hasn't had struggles. Mm. But it's in his struggles that people actually identify with. You know, I'd love to hear your story. Take us back to what it was like growing up in Fall River. You know, Fall River is, you know, it's an old mill town. Um, mm-hmm. Textile industry. You know, it was vibrant uh, at one time. And, you know, the, the textile industry moved overseas and the mills shut down it was it's a tough town it it really is it's a blue collar town it's it's very diverse you know um and you know growing up the one thing we had was was Durfee sports which is you know the local high school um you know I tell people all the time Durfee basketball to me was bigger than the Boston Celtics right because I could show up and watch it and and yeah and I, and I felt it. And, you know, so watching my brother go through that process and, and, and wanting that for my life, um, mm. you know, 
basically most of my childhood was was spent either aiming for that or, or playing in the middle of it. Right. So it's your purpose. It's your focus. It's it's acknowledgement. High school basketball in those days, it wasn't prep school and AAU ball. It was the biggest thing in the world. The best players played high school ball. And in a town like Fall River, the place is packed to the rafters, and you guys are the biggest game in town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we was we had season ticket holders for high school. Uh, you know, people, caravans of buses would travel to, to, to follow us to games. You know, a good three, four, five thousand people. And, and you know, it was, uh, it was definitely the biggest show in town. And, you know, in hindsight, it was a lot to shoulder, too, you know, at 15 yeah. years old. But, you know, it, it, it made me, you know, who I am today. Uh, you know, 100% is part of my journey. You know, that tough, that grittiness, that resilience that I, you know, I had to embrace as a child, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, 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 you know, applicable today in my recovery. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I have six kids and, uh, you know, they're all sports and I married a, an Olympic volleyball player. And so we've been around the sports world for a long time. And it's interesting, you know, with the Instagram world and everything else these kids are dealing with, you know, they all want to be famous, mm. right? For the people who actually get to be famous, it's not all it's cracked up to be, you know. And like you said, here you are 14, 15 years of age. You're the center of the community. You know, it's kind of like this guy's never going to buy a beer another day in his life, mm. you know, and everything's good. And, you know, it, it's a lot. And then, of course, you go to Boston College, which, you know, at the time, you know, people don't realize, you know, it's very provincial stuff, you know, for you to go away, like a lot of pressure. I remember when I first came to America, people in Dublin, you know, were, ah, he's forgotten us. He's off his, you know, he's doing his own thing. You know, you go to Boston College, you detail in there how, you know, you're doing your thing, you're pursuing your dream, you're doing great. And then one day, you, you, there's a couple of persistent people, as that happens on college sometimes, they start offering you cocaine. And you fought them initially, and then you didn't. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, I don't want to say I fell in love with it. Um, but what cocaine was for me at 18 years old, it was, it was, uh, was kind of like my truth serum. Um, mm. It gave me the ability to communicate with others how I felt internally and would never mm-hmm. say it sober. Um, right. You know, so it was, it was many long nights of sitting there drinking beers, sucking on cigarettes and doing lines of cocaine and saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is how I felt, you know, as a child and, and talk right. and, you know, rehashing old memories. So it, it was sadly, it was therapeutic. Odd, sure. You know, oddly enough, there was a therapy. No, and this is brilliant. Like, it, this is brilliant stuff because, you know, the deal is when you roll up your sleeves and get dirty on this stuff, and, and the, the reason I wanted you today is, you know, coming out of COVID. Uh, coming out of you know these stressful times and what's going on in the in the media and the political culture and the war and all the different stuff, you know one of the things I heard you say that stopped me in my tracks was that you're a person who's designed to seek comfort, and in in our world today that's all I see with people and 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 we can see the evidences of whether it's drinking drugs, uh, Netflix, pornography, food. You know, people are seeking comfort in in degrees and ways that they never have. And like here you are, I think it's great. Like you know, you talk to kids and you talk to all these different people, but there's a reason. There's a beneficial reason why people do these things. Mm. 
there, right? There's a beneficial reason. And, and for you, like everybody, oh my God, cocaine, right? That's the devil's tool. Da, 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 da. But like I say, you sought comfort and you got comfort initially from the drug. It was your truth serum. It helped you process feelings, which you know, back then that wasn't probably a, a cool thing to do, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and you, now we're dealing with a culture of people who are seeking comfort. Mm. And the problem is that comfort sometimes uh, comes back to haunt. It does. And, and it did. But I, and this just kind of came about, right? You know, I'm 13 years sober and it just hit me one day that I was wired to seek relief. Mm. Like, I, I just remember being a child and not wanting to be me. Mm. I just, I always wanted to kind of get out of myself. I've always looking for something different. Um, and then as I got older, I realized what I was seeking was relief. And, you know, that relief came in, in unfortunately, forms that were harmful. And, and like you said, eventually, you know, the relief you're seeking, um, never, you get no relief. And, and, and unfortunately, it, it, it multiplies the problem. Uh -huh. Right. One of the things we all deal with in, in trying to grow ourselves and develop is we have these persistent patterns or problems. Mm. We have seasons where we break out. You initially get into these problems in Boston College. Jerry Tarkanian, who was, a, who was an innovative guy, gives you this new chance at Fresno State. You transfer to Fresno State, and you become Chris Heron, the basketball legend mm. again, right? And you just your, your career was revitalized, so you're back on goals. Was there a season at Fresno where you didn't seek the comfort of the drugs or was it just you were, you were in it the whole time, but you had a new, new lease on life with the sport? No, I was dialed in. I mean, if you look at it's and, and even my kids, you know, can tell, mm. you know, if you look at basketball cards or basketball pitches of me from sophomore year to senior year, my body is completely different. I have a completely mm. different body type. I was plugged in, dialed in. 100% committed my, my, the year I redshirted and my sophomore year. Um, and the numbers, you know, the numbers prove it. It was, it was my most successful year in college. And then, uh, you know, the old habits started creep, creeping in, you know, like. How, how did you do it? How did you, you, know, you got a new lease on life. How did you make the change? Did you just, was it just grin and bear it? And, and a little bit of that, but I, I had, I had, uh, so Danny Tarkanian, um, Coach Tarkanian's son, and a guy by the name of John Welch, who's been an NBA coach now for 20 years, John Welch really kind of embraced me and, and said, you're going to follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to do this. Um, not only basketball, but recovery. And mm. so I had a mentor. I had a mentor uh, that I bought into. and. I still remember the day when I started pulling away from him and kind of the look in his eyes, you know, that he knew that he was losing me, um, you know, and, and that, that was a transition and, and it happened over time. But, you know, at 19 years old, I didn't think cocaine would follow me. You know, I, I thought that I could move 3000 miles away and, and I'll never bump into it again. Um, you know, but the reality is, you know, I didn't have to bump into it. I was seeking it. That unfortunately, um, you know, happened to me in my junior year at Fresno State. Mm. 
So now we fast forward, you graduate, and, and in the marketplace, you know, the truth of the matter is the marketplace doesn't really care, mm. right? It's, it's what your performance is. You know, you, all these stories on ESPN, they, they're not really chronicling. Well, you know, I, there was a show on last night about the Miracle Mets I was watching. Mm. And here was Daryl Strawberry, and he was dealing with his stuff, and he was physically beating his wife at the time. And his, you know, but they didn't care because he was delivering home runs, and they won a World Series. His wife's in the parade with a black eye. You know, it's like there's this dynamic, you know, and it, it took him to come all the way full circle. You know his story mm -hmm. for him to turn his life around radically and, and change his life and what he's doing today. Mm -hmm. But the marketplace, you know, it's like what I deal with is people who seek comfort in work. Mm -hmm. And you grind and grind and grind and grind. You get acknowledged for that. You get rewarded for that. You get rich doing that sometimes. Mm. And, and the marketplace will reward you. So you got rewarded by the marketplace by getting drafted in the NBA. And great, what would you do? Let's make a young guy with a drug problem a multimillionaire, right? <laughs> let's give him a bunch of money <laughs> and let's not ask him about his personal life. That's usually a recipe for success, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and for me, it was, gosh, there was always another mountain to climb. You know, and, and mm. by the time I got there, I was just tired. I was tired of climbing mountains, right? It was just, mm. you know, I mean, I remember being a boy and, and the mountain to climb was to be my brother. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and the mountain to climb was to score 2,000 points, not 1,000 in high school. And then it was to get a Division One scholarship and, and then perform at a high level uh, on ESPN and all these mountains. And then I just got tired of the mountain. I got tired of climbing and, and, you know, my addiction had chased me down and, you know, it was, uh, it's tough. It was tough to manage, right? Here I am, this, this local kid, right? It was like the fairy tale. Like I am a Celtic. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I have pictures of being on that floor with my dad. Um, mm. and I have this nightmare that I'm living internally. And I'm saying to myself every day, when, when is the secret? When is the story going to break? Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, this is not sustainable. And it's just one mistake, one wrong move. And, and you know, everyone's going to be made aware of who I really am. And it was, it's, it's tough to live that way. Did you, do you think, looking back on it now, subconsciously, you were kind of hoping? Oh, eventually. To get found out? You were hoping to get exposed so that it would, kind of make the decision for you you know it's 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 a lot of work right and it's it's a lot of work keeping that secret and and mm. there's multiple motives involved right like you're, you're making money you're working you're professional but really you just don't want to hurt you know you just don't want to hurt people who care about you and love you um and, and what you don't realize is you just that that pain is just multiplying and, and, you know, um, it just became dreadful. I mean, I remember, I remember leaving practice every day to drive, to go pick up and, and then, you know, I, I would, I drive 90 miles an hour down the highway to go meet him and then turn around and come back and, and walk into my apartment to be a dad and a husband. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just, it, it wasn't sustainable. It was painful. Um, you know, it wasn't a life that anybody, I would wish on anybody. But at the time, you're with the Boston Celtics, man. Mm. You're a local kid. 
you're everyone from the outside you're living a dream totally inside you're living a nightmare mm -hmm. when did it all start to hit rock bottom for you when was it to the point that it was like hey this is the this is the point of no return you know every day honest to god right and and i think i think you know and and i tell people in the space that i'm in today um i believe the word rock bottom has killed a lot of people um I believe it's prevented a lot of families from doing the right thing and intervening much earlier. Mm. I, I think a lot of families, you know, sit back and watch the trauma build and build and build and then say, now you're going to have to sift through 15 years of trauma and drug addiction and get healthy from it. You know, for some, that's an insurmountable, you know, uh, every day I woke up was a bad day. I never had a good one. I never, it didn't feel right when I was traded. It didn't feel right when I stepped on that floor because there was a whole nother story to it that nobody knew yet. And, you know, I had to pretend like this is, this is the dream come true. And it was a nightmare. And you're doing interviews and you're doing press and oh, you're, God, yeah. you know, you're a celebrity. And then, uh, so that all, it ended up coming to a halt in, in, Boston. Uh, did they ever address the drug issue with you? No. Um, no. The NBA did initially, right? It was, okay. we're going to put you in some type of substance transitional program. And, and I was subjected to drug testing. But again, right, I was, I wasn't the guy, right? If, when a coach looks down the bench and you're, you fall from 10 to 15, mm -hmm. you really, you know, you're very replaceable. You know, there's a right. lot of people in this country that want to be 10 through 15. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't qualified to be, you know, one through 10. Um, but a lot of people can sit in those seats. And, you know, I really, you know, by the time I got to the Celtics, my behavior, my body, my commitment, my work ethic, it was gone, right? Because I would be in a two and a half hour practice with Rick Pitino and I'm already running to the locker room during practice to shoot a text to my drug dealer to say, I'll be out of practice in 25 minutes. I'll be on the highway. Can you start heading out now? So my head was nowhere near, you know, mm. the game. Wow. Wow. So they release you. You end up going to Europe mm -hmm. and, and same pattern again. Oh, gosh. Europe was brutal, right? I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, heroin and, and cocaine and, you know, that's, you know, the language barrier. I mean, I, I, I've done drugs, you know, in every country I played in, right? So, I, I, you know, probably the most unique was Iran, right? To be in the streets of Tehran, Iran. Wow. You know, running around. Wow. And, and risking death. Risking death and, and, you know, having alcohol and cocaine and heroin delivered at all hours of the night. Um, wow. Was definitely a unique um, it was a unique story out there. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of resourceful. And I think in terms of this, you know, you look at it and you go through this process and how it's, it's difficult, right? It's, it's challenging. It becomes a spiral. Mm. You know, how did you end up not being a statistic? How did you end up turning it around? You know, I, I, I was near death. Um, you know, and I say this often, like I chased death for that feeling for a long time. Um, mm. You know, every day I took a chance of dying. Uh, 
And you can't deny that. Someone who is shooting heroin, snorting heroin, um, you know, every day you wake up and you're going to take a chance at losing your life. Uh, and I did that for a long time. Um, so, so unbelievably blessed to be sitting here, you know, to just have one day sober instead of 13 years, right? It's, it's a blessing and a miracle. Um, you know, I had a guy who, who said to me that I should play dead for my family. Um, that after my last overdose, he said, why don't you just sit down with your wife and have her explain to the kids that you died in a car accident and let them bury you mentally and emotionally. And when you get out of here, you're going to head west and you're just going to disappear. Um, and when that man told me that my children were better off without me um, and my wife will find someone better than me, um, and they'll finally, hopefully one day have the dad that they deserve. Uh, you know, I said that many nights going to bed to myself. Uh, but when I heard it out loud for the first time, it just hit, it really hit me. It hit me right where I needed to be hit. And I, I said from that day forward, um, I'm not going to pretend I'm not going to act like everything's good. I'm going at this uh, full speed, gritty, whatever it took. Um, and I've been sober since. Uh, and, and that man is a very special man. And, and not mm. there's not a counselor in this country that will tell you to use that. You know, it, it, goes, it goes against all. Um, yeah. But, but that day he reached for something. And, and, and he found it and he found it in me. Yeah. And, and that's why it was what you needed, mm. what you needed. What were the structural things to help you get back your sobriety? What were the things you did that, that really did help you? Obviously you had to make a decision. Yeah. There was, I just had you know, time had to make a decision. Time, man. Like time matters in this, you know, like mm. I'm sitting here at my wellness center and, you know, people who put more time into this early on, their chances of staying sober longer are much greater. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I was very fortunate that I had people in my life, Chris Mullen and, and his wife, Liz, mm -hmm. who, who found me a place and sent me away. How long, how long did you go away for initially? 11 months. And I had a newborn baby. Um, you know, my son was nine and my daughter was seven at the time. And every single night, every single night I went to bed and, and, and all I could see is like failure, you know, like. Mm -hmm. You're a failure. You're a loser. Pack your stuff. Go back home. Find a job and do something for your family. And you know, I fought that for eleven months. Um, wow. And I thank God that that I was given that gift of of hesitation to pause. Um, and you know, when I went back to my home after eleven months, um, I just had that foundation that I felt comfortable in to 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 continue and you know 13 years later I'm I'm that dad you know I'm that dad that they deserve wow jeez amazing i have the goosebumps buddy i got to tell you you know and and now you're here yeah. and now you are bringing this message how many people and kids and schools and organizations do you speak to a year now i'm at about 200 events a year i love it Right. I love kids. I love being in front of kids. I love the messaging that I 
that I've changed over the years. I think, you know, when it comes to this topic, we talk about the worst day and we forget the first day. Mm. You know, when it comes to our children, we want to we want to remind them of the Chris Herons and the Dow Strawberries that had everything and lost it mm-hmm. instead of sitting them down and and making them aware of what Chris Heron was like when he was 12. You know, and what did he look like and what did his family look like when he was 15? Because the first day matters. You know, and 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 that's the scariest thing about drug addiction. Nobody knows who's going to suffer from it. Right. You know, I mean, I have people that come through this center and, you know, they have six brothers and sisters and five of them are super successful and happy. And then the one, you know, is struggling and 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 they just happen to be the one. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm unbelievably blessed. Um, you know, I work really hard at this. I love it. I love being out there in front of people. Um, and, and just getting a chance, right. To, to be part of the solution to, to kind of change the, the, the narrative and, and, you know, the stigma that's, that's been attached to this, to this illness. I'm, I'm sure you've had a thousand stories. I mean, what are, what are some of the experiences you've had with feedback with, you know, talking to gymnasiums full of kids and, you know, sharing your story because it's so transparent. You're so good at communicating it. You know, you had a lot of things the kids are wanting. Yeah. What kind of feedback have you gotten from these young people? You know, my goal when I walk into a to a to a gymnasium or an auditorium, I want them to forget that I played for the Boston Celtics. Mm. That's my goal. I want them to forget who I was and to start thinking who they are. Right. I want kids to get off those bleaches, walk down those steps, and and really kind of self-reflect on on who they are and the kid they're becoming and you know as i ask them if if their mom or dad their little brother or sister or their grandparents could take a peek into their life who they really were not who they pretend to be around them um you know and 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 that self-reflection it gets kids it gets kids thinking and that early intervention with children is critical like we we're so good at challenging our kids athletically and, mm-hmm. and, and academically, right? It's like mom and dad will sit with you and do homework with you every single night. We'll email your teacher. We'll call your coach. We'll get you a one-on-one training. We'll do it all for you. But on Fridays and Saturday nights, you're on your own, kiddo. Like whether you feel good or not the weekend, it's up to you to figure it out. And we don't give our kids enough of that social and emotional support when they, I believe they need us most. That's immense. Great stuff. Let me, let me ask you a question that comes to my mind. Mm. If you, you know, and again, you, you have the Heron project, your foundation that's doing remarkable work. You have the, the facilities right there mm. where you, where you're talking from today. We actually help people physically. And I know it's a huge question, but let's say someone has a family member who's experiment with drugs or who's starting to get down the path or they're way down the path. What, what advice would you have for the family? How, how, what, what encouragement would you give them? You know, I, I, think, I think everybody, you know, whether it's my family or someone else's family, you know, I think the process of the introduction or the education around addiction is, is critical. And, and I think if anybody in your family is struggling with drugs or alcohol, um, I always err on the side of caution and push towards getting the help that that's required, right? And, mm-hmm. and who cares if they really don't need it? 
right? Thank God they don't. But what if they do? So, um, you know, gosh, I'm a, I'm an athlete. I'm a competitor, and um, I believe that that recovery has given me a competitive edge. I believe it's made me better in all facets of my life. I believe when people are down and and you know going out and having a couple of pops, I'm not, you know, and and mm. and I think that it's given me this unbelievable edge, not only in my personal life but but my professional life. And interesting. And I think if if I think it's to me, it's a very attractive way to live. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm unbelievably blessed that I can go to a wedding with my wife and dance in front of people and not worry about what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and, and just be complete. The freedom. The freedom to move and, and the confidence to not care and, 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 and not worry. Um, it's platforms like this and people like you who, who, you know, are bringing, you know, light to this. And, and recognizing me, and, I, and I'm unbelievably grateful that, that you've done that. Well, it's great stuff. And as we finish up here, I have five little questions that I ask everybody we've had, and there'll be a little different insight to, to Chris Heron. Everyone I interview, I ask them what their favorite movie is. 90% of the time they tell me it's the Shawshank Redemption. Chris Heron is the Shawshank Redemption <laughs> to me. And what we're talking about now is, you know, and in the movie you spend a lot of time going through difficult times. He's got to crawl through a crappy pipe. But at the end of the day, it's Sewantaneo, mm. and it's that freedom. And every success story has chapters of failure in it. And uh, it's just yours were very public mm-hmm. and, and on a subject that people don't want to talk about too much. And now, now God's using you in a mighty way, and you're a, you're a man who's full of gratitude. And uh, you're, you're changing people's lives every day. And it's, uh, you're an inspirational dude to me. Thank you. And uh, so God bless you. Uh, let's, let's, uh, here's the five rapid questions if you're ready for me. Number one. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Open your mouth to save your ass. <laughs> <laughs> who told you that? <laughs> There's a 55-year-old woman who walked into this AA meeting every morning with a hard hat. And every morning she looked at me across and, and, and I just stared at my feet, right? I was defeated. And defeated people often, you know, they, they posture, they stare down at their feet. Mm. And she walked up to me one day and she said, you know, you have to open your mouth to save your ass. And she then followed, she followed it with, um, because I can never help you if I can't hear you. Wow. And that was the moment in my recovery where I started talking and telling it. So Mm. I credit her for giving me the ability um, to communicate. It's uh, God sent you an angel in a hard hat in an AA meeting. How about that? Totally. All right. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Well, I wish I could show my youngest how good I was in basketball back in the day. Because <laughs> <laughs> now it's just glory day yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. Now it's just film. <laughs> there, there, aren't enough, there aren't enough videos. They didn't show the 2,000 points in yeah, your yeah, high I school. I wish I could jump like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what book has been most instrumental in your life? So the book that's been most instrumental in my life, I mean, oh gosh, so you put me on the spot here, right? I would say the book, and this is going to sound terribly egotistical, right? But a guy wrote a book about me when I was a kid, and that book was called Four of a Dreams. And mm. the reason that book has been the most instrumental part of my life or impactful is because the relationship that I have with the author. Bill Reynolds, who wrote the book, 
he's served every purpose in my life from friend to author to uncle to father to brother um and if it wasn't for that book i would have never met him mm. and 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 it's the relationship that i've had with him since i've been 15 years old that that has had probably the greatest impact on me ball river dreams yeah. wow long before hoop dreams yeah, totally. ball river dreams right amazing what one movie do you watch over and over again if you're flicking through the channels? You always stop when it's on. All right, so I like Silver Linings Playbook, right? Uh-huh. I like Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I'm a Life is Beautiful uh, guy. Mm. Uh, old um, Cinema Paradiso is another oh, yeah. old school movie. You know, my dad, who suffers from alcoholism, um, you know, and, and is extremely sick right now because of it. Um, you know, many nights he came in with Chinese food and, and beer on his breath and, and woke me up to make me watch Cool Hand Luke. So a lot, oh, so a lot, of, my... a lot of Cool Hand Luke <laughs> memories. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was my movie growing up. You know, my mother, I, I, and, you know, as you know, you raise Catholic, if you get take your confirmation name. Yeah. And I wanted my confirmation name to be Luke. <laughs> Uh, and my mother goes, you're supposed to be named after a saint, not that bloody Paul Newman movie. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I like that movie because at the end of the day, he ends up having to make his peace with God himself. No so it's good stuff. Yeah. Number five. In the past, we've asked people about bucket lists and things like that. I'd, I'd like to ask you a different question. Mm. For you today, what is, a, what is a good life? When you hear the phrase a good life, mm. what does a good life mean to Chris Heron today? So, and and I, I'm only going to repeat this, right, because it, cause, cause it really impacted me. I was watching a movie, uh, a documentary two nights ago, and the guy in the documentary said, our whole life, our whole childhood, we pray to be the superhero. And as we get older, we realize we'll never be the superhero. We just pray not to be the villain. Mm. And... You know, for someone like me, that hit me, you know, because, mm -hmm. because, sure. because my addiction, I could easily become the villain. Like, I just don't want to mm -hmm. be the villain, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, what I'm doing today, my kids' eyes smile because of sobriety. Mm -hmm. You know, my, I, I see the smile in their eyes because of, because of my sobriety. And I, and I never want to lose that. And, you know, my, my life is measured up to how they look at me um, and, and how much comfort they have with me. Uh, so, so as long as I'm, I'm, uh, I'm granted another day sober, that's the good life. boy. Well, let me say this. Um, you did start out pursuing the superhero life, and a lot of people do. In the basketball world, you were the superhero of Fall River. You were the superhero of your high school, superhero of Boston College and Fresno. and and all these things, and what people wanted for you at the Celtics, and so on and so forth. There is no doubt you had periods of life where you were the villain, mm. and uh, you you had to go to layaway school for eleven months, <laughs> villain school. Totally. Uh, but but in my book today, mm. you are the superhero. I appreciate that. And this is a story that needs to get pounded. Mm. Uh, you're out there for thirteen years, and you've made your life a life of service, mm. serving your God, serving your wife, serving your kids and serving communities and young people all over the country and all over the world. It's just an honor to know you. I am so inspired by your story. I know it's a hard story, but that's why it's inspirational. Mm. And um, I think you have a message 
That's very needed. Mm. You know, 1.4 million people in the U.S. alone attempted suicide mm. last year. It's like the f- city of Philadelphia attempted suicide last year. That's documented, right? I mean, that's 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 the documented. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Not the ones that want. We don't know the ones that didn't say anything about Tenny. Right, right, right. We talk about a fella from New England, Henry David Thoreau, said most people are living quiet lives of desperation. Mm. And here you are having the courage to share your story, share your struggles, and now share your triumph. Mm. And you know what? I think people want that good life. And it's one day at a time to be able to be of service to your fellow man, to be able to be in a relationship where someone can count on you, to be able to be a father to your kids, and to be able to do meaningful work where you're giving back. You know, this is what it looks like. And so for me, you're a superhero in my book, pal. And I want to tell you how much we appreciate you being here today. This message is going to reach an awful lot of people. Awesome. I know it's going to help somebody. I know it's going to love on somebody. And we really appreciate you. Thanks for being with us on the show today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that today. It was inspirational. It was a lot to take in. If you have any interest, you can find out about the Heron Project. That's H-E-R-R-E-N, Chris Heron. And uh, check out his 30 for 30, Unguarded. Like I told him, my ma has a few phrases. We're going to leave him with one today as she leaves us with a little Irish blessing. God bless you all. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this interview. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.